0: Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, as we just sang, and our hearts were bursting with um, just joy and gratitude for You, we know that all we have is Christ, and He is sufficient. Think about the words of Colossians 2.10, that in Christ we are complete. We are perfected in Him. Father, thank You for Your Son. Thank You that today we get to reflect upon Him, not only um, um, during this sermon, but also at the end when we share and partake of the elements um, symbolizing his body and the blood that was shed for our sins. I pray that, Lord, we might this morning exalt him. I pray that even now as we hear your word and as we apply your word and ponder it and reflect upon it, that you might, Lord, cause us to be people who glorify your great name and the application of your word. Help us to be doers of your word and not hearers who deceive themselves we pray in jesus name amen amen well hey if you haven't been with us or you are visiting this morning and for the rest of us we've been working through a series of this summer as you know on the doctrine of the church what the church is And what the church is to be about on this earth and I hope that you have been seeking uh, to just be prayerful before the Lord applying what God's Word would have to say to us every uh, Sunday morning along the issue of the church. It's important that we delve into that so that we might be deliberate and purposeful um, as Christians, individual Christians and as a church here on this earth. I was talking to a fairly mature Christian here in our uh, from our congregation about this series on the church and they brought it up and just said, you know, I'm so thankful. Um, for the series. I don't remember the last time when we actually heard a message on um, communion or the Lord's Supper, a whole message on that and on the, the significance of communion and why we do what we do as far as communion and the Lord's Supper. And they were just very grateful for the various pastors who've come up here and taught on service and worship and what it means to exalt Christ and our confession that Jesus is Lord and obviously the Lord's Supper. And this morning we get an opportunity, obviously, to talk about baptism. Baptism, the essential practice of baptism. And you know, that comment by that mature, older saint really um, uh, encapsulated, summed up for me, why I think the the series on the church is important, including this issue of baptism, and even devoting full sermons on some of these topics, uh, because we tend to take some of these things for granted. We're living in a day and age, as I've mentioned before, where Um, Really, we're just kind of, we just kind of go through the motions. We don't really think about why we do what we do oftentimes. And so I think it's important to return back to the Word of God um, to look at some of these essential practices, including this issue of baptism. And I promise you, it's only going to be a one message, okay, on baptism. Um, I promise you that I'm not going to be like the preacher of old, the old Southern Baptist preacher, that it it said of, of him that he launched into a whole series. Um, prolonged series on baptism, on water baptism with his church to the point where people were just sick and tired of him constantly preaching on water baptism. Every text that he would go to, it seems like he would find a way to get into water baptism. And so finally the deacons got together with him, had a huge meeting with him, and they said, you have to stop preaching on water baptism. And so the preacher answered, why don't you guys pick the text in that you want me to preach on this Sunday morning? And the deacon said, well, we want you to preach on Genesis one one." I want you to preach on that particular text. So he said, okay, I'll preach on that particular text. So the following Sunday morning, he got up and he said to the congregation, Congregation, it's been requested that I preach this morning on Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And so he read the verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he proceeded to start his sermon with these words, When God created the heavens and the earth, a fourth of, the, of the, his creation of earth was land and three-fourths water. Which brings me to my topic of water baptism. (laughs) I promise you I'm not going to do that, okay? One message on baptism, and then we'll get into the Lord's Supper um, later on to reflect upon the person and the work of Christ. But I do think it's very important for us to look at the... There's great value in looking at this issue of baptism because I think for many Christians today, many professing believers even, Baptism is a is something that's rarely talked about. It's something that has... People don't understand the significance of baptism, or they have uh, a view of baptism that is very confused. I mean, whole cults have been established and initiated uh, upon wrong views of baptism. And people even in the church are very indifferent to baptism. Perhaps there are even some of you in here this morning who you are a believer, but you've never been publicly baptized in the waters of baptism. So I think it's very in, uh, important that we do not treat the issue of baptism with indifference at all, okay? So this morning what I want us to do if you're taking notes, I want us to look at five important aspects of about of water baptism so that we might affirm and appreciate baptism as Christians and as a church, okay? Five important aspects about water baptism. And notice what I said, water baptism. I think part of the confusion And you'll learn this if you take the baptism class here at Calvary Bible Church. Part of the confusion surrounding the whole issue of baptism is that we fail to pay attention to context and ask the important question when we see the word baptism or the verb to baptize in the New Testament, what kind of baptism is this particular verse or text referring to? It's a huge issue of confusion. Because in the New Testament, what you will find is that there are various kinds of baptism. First of all, there's John the Baptist's baptism, if you will. John's baptism, which was a baptism specifically for the Jews of Jesus' day. Upon Jesus' appearance where it was a baptism where, where they, were, they were to repent of their sins, that even though they were the ethnic people of Israel, the message of John's baptism to the Jews was, you need to prepare for the Messiah's arrival. So you have John's baptism. Then you have the baptism of Jesus, of our Lord, which was essentially the inauguration, symbolized the inauguration or the initiation of His public ministry. Then in Scripture, you have a baptism of suffering. A baptism of suffering. Mentioned in Mark chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. Do you remember a couple of Jesus' disciples wanted the place of prominence? And Jesus asked them, you do not know, or told them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to undergo? Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink? By which he meant the cup of his crucifixion, of his suffering. So there's that sense of baptism, a baptism of suffering, specifically of the crucifixion of our Lord, and obviously by implication of martyrdom, of any of those who follow Christ and are, and are killed because of their faith in Jesus. Then there is the baptism of judgment that John the Baptist spoke about in Matthew chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, where he mentioned, and pointing to Jesus, he said to people, um, I baptize in water, but among us is one, namely Jesus, who will baptize you with fire. And he was speaking about a baptism of judgment, a baptism of judgment. And then there are the two um, senses of baptism that I want us to look at this morning in particular. There is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that more specifically in a few minutes. And then our particular topic this morning, water baptism, water baptism. So here are five important aspects about water baptism that I want us to be thinking about. First and foremost, water baptism is an outward sign of an internal reality. I want us to think and reflect upon the fact that baptism, water baptism is an outward sign of an internal reality. And I want you to turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. When you and I witness the public external act of baptism, we must remember that it beautifully pictures an internal miracle in the heart of a person. An internal miracle in the heart of a person. And our Lord Jesus speaks about this to a man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Here's this interaction with this prominent, probably the scholar, the preeminent scholar amongst the Jews of the day. His name was Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here's this man, Nicodemus, a preeminent scholar of the day. He knows that there's something unique about Christ. And so he's curious about Jesus. And Jesus cuts to the chase, if you notice, in verse 3. Here is your, the root issue. Jesus cuts to the chase and he answers and says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus cuts to the chase. Here is none of this flattery stuff. Let's get to the root issue and your greatest need. There must be something that must miraculously happen within you, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? How could I start all over again, says Nicodemus? How could this be? Jesus answered in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Water in those days and in the Old Testament, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 36, was symbolic of outward external purification. But the greater issue that Jesus is pointing him to is the inward reality, the supernatural spiritual um, uh, awakening that only the Spirit of God can do. And he's saying, Nicodemus, this is what you need. You must be born again of the Spirit. He reemphasizes or repeats it again in verse 7, if you noticed. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. You see, the Bible says... That whether it's in Nicodemus' case or any person outside of Christ, that people are born in spiritual death. We are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. We need to be awakened spiritually. And so the miracle that God does by His Spirit is that when He saves a person at that moment of conversion... That person is awakened to new spiritual life and that is what Jesus refers to as being born again in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. Every single person, beloved, born into this world has their greatest need is that they would see their sin and see the glories of Christ and be born again by the Spirit of God. If you are a Christian this morning, you've experienced that. You've been regenerated, which means to be made new, to be reborn, if you will. And that work is a work, an internal work, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. And so Jesus cuts to the chase here and he essentially says to this man, you want to be part of the kingdom of God? You must be born again. You must be reborn. The Spirit of God must awaken you spiritually. You must be washed. You must be cleansed on the inside. You must experience that. Look with me in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And verse 1, Paul says to Titus, remind them, Titus 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient. Deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. What is he describing? He is describing the old man, our former manner of life, our spiritual darkness in which we lived. And then what did God do? Verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. And notice, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. In other words, it's not based upon anything good, any good works that you can do. But according to His mercy. And then he says this. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Notice. Salvation happens by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Two words, regeneration and renewing of the Spirit, that point to the new birth, to being reborn, to being regenerate. All this is speaking, beloved, in other words, of the internal work of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of that supernatural work that takes place at the moment of a person's conversion. Otherwise, nothing happens. Nothing happens. None of us can do that work in the heart of any person. Only God, by means of His Word and the Gospel, is able to b- awaken a person from spiritual death to see the glories of Jesus Christ. And that is what happened at the moment of conversion. You understand? At the moment of conversion and a spiritual dynamic, God opened your eyes by His Holy Spirit to your sinfulness and your helplessness and your hopelessness as a lost, guilty, condemned sinner before Him. And then once having recognized your need to be reconciled to your Maker, He caused you to see God's provision, the good news of the person and the work of Christ the beauty and the glory of the person and the all-sufficient Jesus Christ. Your eyes were open to the fact that this one came to live the perfect life that you could never live, to die in your place on the cross, to pay for your sins, and then He victoriously rose from the dead, and that you, by trusting in this one, not in your works, not in your deeds, can actually be reconciled to your Maker. A beautiful reality. That is a supernatural work of the Spirit of God in the human heart. In addition, then the Spirit of God placed us into the spiritual body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 speaks of this, that by one Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, meaning the church. And then the Spirit of God came to live in each and every one of us. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so, all of this is the Spirit's work. This work of regeneration. It's what scripture often refers to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or spirit baptism. It's the work of regeneration of the Spirit causing us to be born again. And by the way, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us at regeneration upon this new birth, He comes in His fullness to live inside of us. We don't believe in what is often referred to as a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit comes to us in in dosages. As if the Holy Spirit were some liquid or, or force or some impersonal substance. As if the Holy Spirit was given to us in degrees or subsequent blessings. When we are converted and we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live fully inside of us. He is the third member of the Trinity received by the Christian at the point of conversion fully and completely isn't that precious he is the power the energizer beloved behind our pursuit of likeness. apart from him we cannot do anything at all but because we have the spirit of god living in us he empowers the believer to live a life of victory by his grace and so water baptism listen is an external symbol of this internal supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It mirrors water baptism on the outside what the Holy Spirit has already done on the inside. And so here at Calvary Bible Church, we believe that the Bible teaches what we call believers' baptism. Believers' baptism. That what we see behind me on the waters of baptism, and what we're going to see, I believe it's next week or the following, one of those, the following, is it next week, Sunday, baptisms? Okay, we're gonna see that very soon. Nine people are in our baptism class right now. And what we're gonna witness behind us is simply an external act that beautifully shows what has happened on the inside, the miracle of regeneration in the heart of a person. What a time to rejoice. What a time to rejoice. In other words, water baptism is Christian baptism. Christian baptism for believers. We don't believe that the Bible teaches infant baptism where babies or young children are sprinkled or have water poured on them as sort of sign that they're identified with the people of God or, or as a first step of salvation, maybe followed later by something called confirmation. We don't believe in essentially a two-step process of salvation. We believe that water baptism simply symbolizes what has already taken place fully, that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by which we have been saved. We have been converted. So it's an external symbol of an internal reality. Secondly, secondly, water baptism is an act of loving obedience. Water baptism is an act of loving obedience. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I know we've seen this passage a few times through our series on the church. The different brothers who have preached up here have read this text. But it's the passage of the Great Commission. When you as a Christian are so moved by what God has done in your heart, having sent His Son to die in your place for your sins and risen from the dead, you are a person now who desires to lovingly obey God's Word out of gratitude because of what He has done for you. And at the top of the list for those people who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is this issue of being baptized In the waters of baptism. Notice Matthew 28 verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee. To the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him saw Christ. They worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And notice. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So notice, he who has all authority commands his disciples to make disciples, his disciples to make other disciples, and baptize them. Baptize them, implying that they were to go out and share the good news of the person and the work of Christ as the only way of salvation, and then when people trusted in Jesus Christ and they were saved, one of the first acts that they were to perform was to be publicly baptized in the waters of baptism. They were to be baptized. Fast forward to the birth and life of the early church in the book of Acts, and people who were born again, listen to me, were almost immediately, beloved, baptized. It's amazing to me how oftentimes I've met believers over the course of my own walk with the Lord, believers who have been walking with the Lord for months or even years and yet they've never been publicly baptized in the waters of baptism they've never followed this particular command by our Lord that when when you come to follow be a follower of Jesus you are to be publicly baptized the early church almost immediately the accounts that we get of people coming to know Christ putting their faith in Jesus they almost immediately receive the word of Christ trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, and they were publicly baptized. Take, for instance, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. After Peter preaches this amazing sermon at Pentecost, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, so then those who had received His word, received is parallel to embracing or, or believing or trusting the message of Christ. Those who had received His word, listen to this, were baptized. Hear the sequence. First, they receive the word of Christ. They embrace it. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then they are baptized publicly. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. After Philip has preached the gospel message to the hated Samaritans. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, But when they, the Samaritans, believed Philip preaching the gospel news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Listen to the sequence again. First, they believed the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God that Philip was preaching, and then they were publicly baptized in the waters of baptism. People were not baptized in water so that they could be saved, but water baptism was an act of loving obedience, of a grateful response to God's saving grace. They understood that it, that's, that public water baptism had no saving power, in the same way that it doesn't today. There is no meritorious value before God in the ceremony that we see behind me, beloved. Every what quarter or a couple of months, when we see people be baptized. There's no merit in that. And so we reject some segments of Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholicism that essentially say that water baptism is, again, a sort of first step that one must take to be saved. We reject all forms of what is referred to often as baptismal regeneration, which teaches that water baptism either saves you or plays some role in salvation. I mean, there are religions that have been started based upon this particular view. There is a cult known as the International Church of Christ, the ICOC, the International Church of Christ, which essentially teaches this, that you must be baptized in their church, which is the only true church if you are a genuine Christian or believer. That is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. You know what that is? That is salvation by works at the end of the day, no matter how you slice and dice it. Don't you ever forget this salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone apart from anything that you could ever do, including baptism. Isn't that what the thief on the cross experienced in Luke chapter 23 verses 40 to 43? I mean that guy never got baptized, right? At some point, the thief on the cross really believes in the claims of Jesus Christ and he puts his trust in Jesus and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. I.e. what? You're going to be in heaven with me. That man was converted. That man was saved. I mean, can you imagine? Sorry, buddy. You haven't been baptized in the waters of baptism. Too late. Too late. I wish I could have helped you out. Trust is not sufficient. Maybe one of the guards can sprinkle you a little bit with some water. Right? Right? No, he was justified. He was justified based upon simple trust in Jesus Christ, his claims, and the fact that on that cross, Jesus was bearing his sins. Simple trust. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, beloved. Don't ever forget that. Even as a believer, There's nothing you can do to earn favor before God, even as a believer. The gospel is pertinent for our conversion as much as it is for our sanctification. You understand? It is only because of Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross, upon the shoulders of that work, we can pursue Christlikeness by His grace. That's why the commands of Scripture, we can obey them. Because we have the Spirit of God living within us, who energizes us by His grace to live the Christian life. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, including water baptism, right? Lest any man or woman should boast. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. We read Titus chapter 3, verse 5. We are saved not by works of righteousness, meaning our good deeds, which we have done, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So note, first, baptism is an external symbol of an internal reality. Second, it's an act of loving, grateful obedience in response to what God has already done in our hearts. Thirdly, Thirdly, note, water baptism is by immersion. Water baptism is by immersion. Some people believe that you can be baptized by sprinkling. Some people believe that you can be baptized by splashing. Some people believe that you can be baptized by pouring water over somebody's head. But note, the New Testament pattern of water baptism is immersion. It's immersion. In fact, the... The Greek word baptizo in the Greek for to baptize means to dip or to immerse. To dip or to immerse. That is to put or place under water. And we saw that in the life of our Lord, when he when he comes on the scene for the inauguration, the initiation of his public ministry, John the Baptist uh, baptizes Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says that in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then it says this, immediately coming up out of the water, implying that John the Baptist immersed Jesus underwater, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. The simple point is that Jesus went underwater and came up out of the water. He himself was immersed when he was baptized. We find the same thing in Acts chapter 8, where we have the evangelist Philip leading the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And immediately after being saved, the Ethiopian eunuch wants to be baptized. What prevents me from being baptized? And so Philip goes on to baptize him. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 38, that they both went down into the water and they came up out of the water philip baptized this new christian convert this ethiopian eunuch note by immersion by immersion and you say Kempis, what's the big deal why is this so important i mean isn't this just an issue of petty semantics i mean isn't this peripheral isn't it secondary and the first thing that i would say to that is i don't think it is certainly we shouldn't be picking a fight with people about that issue right There are unique situations that may even call for a different type of baptizing somebody, maybe a sprinkling or whatever. But the pattern in the New Testament is by immersion. And I think that the first answer to this is we need to be faithful to the pattern of the New Testament. Amen? But listen to me. More importantly, more importantly, God has designed baptism to be by immersion because of what water baptism symbolizes. Because of what it symbolizes. Water baptism symbolizes not just our rebirth, but listen to me, our spiritual, vital union with Christ. Our union with Him. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. So you see this with me. Romans chapter 6. I grew up in... um, Churches uh, as a a young kid and as a youth were the pastors, and I saw the same thing in Southeast Asia, where the pastor would say in Spanish when they were baptizing somebody, muerto con Cristo, resucitado a una vida nueva. Dead with Christ, but raised to new life, to new eternal life. So they would immerse you, and then they would bring you out, and constantly what they set before you is the reality of what Uh, the symbolism behind that baptism, that you were dying and you were being buried with Christ and being raised to new spiritual life. I think that is very consistent. And I would have just added, the obviously, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? According to the Great Commission. But I think that those words really encapsulate what Romans chapter 6 is all about. Notice chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul is in the middle of instructing on sanctification here having already established the fact that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And now he begins to call these believers to the fact that because of their justification, they are to be pursuing Christ's likeness by the grace of God. Six one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. And notice, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And here's the significance of the symbolic aspect of water baptism here. Notice verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? What kind of baptism is he speaking about there? Spirit baptism. Right? The act by which we are born again. Verse 4. Therefore... We have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin." For he who has died with Christ, from the context, is freed from sin. Now notice this, verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves believers, Christians, to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so what are the implications of this vital union? Notice he's been making the point of this vital union with Christ by means of these prepositional phrases. Look at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Verse 4, therefore we have been buried with him, with Christ through baptism into death. Look at verse 5, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. I mean, he's emphasizing through all of those prepositional phrases, this indestructible, unbreakable union, communion, fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ. A beautiful reality. So what are the implications of that union? Verse 12. Therefore, Christian, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, its evil desires. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Notice, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Grace never calls evil good. And an understanding of grace that leads you to live a life of unrepentant sin, a life of, you know what, I'm justified so I can live however I want, is not a right understanding of God's grace, right? That's the whole point that Paul is making here. What I want to call your attention to is in the fact that Water baptism shows what has happened on the inside of a believer whereby we have been united to Christ. We have experienced this beautiful, vital union. And can I remind us, because of that, because of that, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Nothing, beloved. Oftentimes when we're trying to defend the fact that people cannot lose their salvation, we go to, well, how much, how, much is, how much fruit should you see in a person before you can conclude that? And we talk all about works and all of that. How about coming back to the issue of our vital union with Christ? That it's indestructible unbreakable this connection that we have with jesus it is spiritual in nature we've already seen that the spirit of god does this regenerating work so therefore nothing can ever separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus your lord no matter how much you struggle with your sin it will happen, no matter how much you go through trials and you don't respond the way that you should God's favor is upon you, not because of your performance, not because of what you do, beloved, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is sufficient, not only for our justification, but also for our sanctification, isn't he? And ultimately for our glorification. None of this about being part of God's adopted family is dependent upon our performance or personal merits. I mean, can you imagine this as a parent? Son, daughter, if you don't clean your room as I've told you to clean it sufficiently, I'm kicking you out of the family. What kind of a parent is that? hope you've never met anybody like that. If you don't perform the way that you need to perform and throw the trash out, you know what, I'm putting you up for adoption. I'm not your daddy anymore. What is up with that? Even on the human level, that is outrageous and ludicrous and absurd, right? Listen to me. Yet we oftentimes operate that way as children of God. I need to to do more. I need to make sure that I'm gaining God's favor, my Heavenly Father. Otherwise, you know what? I may not be a Christian after all. Listen to me. If you are genuinely trusting in Jesus Christ, God's love will always be upon you because Jesus Christ is sufficient, not because of your performance or because of your personal merits, even as a believer, right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, We all come in the same way, and beloved, we all stay in the same way, if you will, based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Alone. That should bring us great joy and and great assurance. I don't know how to live differently. And obviously that definitive nature of Jesus' is justifying us doesn't lead to libertarianism, to living however we want. It doesn't lead to legalism, to adding things to Christ, Right? Neither libertarianism nor legalism are Christ-centered sanctification. And we need to repent of those two extremes in our lives. It's all based upon the work of Christ. My point is that water baptism by immersion symbolizes this amazing, vital, miraculous, unbreakable union that we have. So, we must follow it. We must follow and be reminded of its beautiful significance. Dead with Christ but raised to new life, to new eternal life in Jesus Christ. Every time we see that, that immersion behind us that we'll see next Sunday or the following Sunday, how beautiful that reality. Think about the implications, the symbolism of that. Wow, they're they're dying and being buried with Christ, and they're being raised to new life. That has already happened on the inside, and now they're showing it on the outside. Fourth, fourth, water baptism is an official identification with Christ. Water baptism is an official identification with Christ. I think we often miss miss this as as American Christians, or Christians living in America. I was in Yangon, Myanmar once, and um, we went to visit an orphanage housed by one of the local churches in that particular area, and one of the things that they had for some of the donors that we took were testimonies. And we heard the testimony of one of the, the lay pastors of that particular church, and who was one of the caretakers of these kids? And he shared how he had grown up Buddhist. How his family was hardcore, very devoted Buddhist family. And all of his associations and all of his friends were Buddhists and all of that. And one day, actually, Christians visiting from America visited the Buddhist temple there in Yangon, Myanmar. And he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Lord saved this man. And when he came back to tell his family, 17 years before this that he was sharing, came back to tell his family, his family basically told him, if you publicly identify yourself with Jesus Christ, you're done. You're out of the family. We're going to disown you. You're no longer part of this family. You cannot bear our family name anymore. And so the man made a stand for Christ. He was actually publicly baptized. His family ostracized him. His friends abandoned him. He lost his job. And he almost lost his marriage, if you will. Two years later, his wife came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then a couple of his kids came to know Jesus Christ. So the Lord, by his grace, allowed him to stay in that family or to, to remain in that marriage. But think about the high cost and the high price, beloved, of identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. I don't think that as Christians living in America, we often count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Right? Right? I mean, some of us are just afraid of getting up on that particular platform there and being publicly baptized just because we're afraid of people. Because we're afraid of what people are going to think. Listen to me. That is the first act of you publicly identifying yourself openly with Jesus Christ. And in some countries of the world, that comes with a high price ostracism, loss of friends, loss of a job, even loss of your marriage in some cases because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. I mean, the early church, There are, some of you are historians of the early church. You've read so many of these accounts of, of these believers who, who would profess Jesus Christ and what would happen to them? They were beheaded. sawn in two, says Hebrews chapter 11. They paid a high price for publicly identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. Why are we afraid? Why are we afraid? Somebody has humorously said, baptism, water baptism, separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. (laughs) Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. Those who are legit from those who are not legit, right? I mean, that could be said of us if we're not careful. I would also say that water baptism also is a public identification with all who belong to Jesus Christ. When you get up in the waters of baptism and you publicly identify with Jesus Christ, not only are you saying, I pledge allegiance to Christ, but also I pledge allegiance to His church. Amen. I love Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then listen to this. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, I hope and I pray that when people are baptized behind us here or in front of us, that you automatically grab your journal and you write down the name of that fellow brother or sister so that you could be praying for them because not only are they identifying themselves with Jesus Christ, but they are identifying themselves publicly and openly with us as their church, right? So that we love them, so that we pray for them, so that we care for them. I pray that you do that, that you take that seriously. Finally, finally, water baptism as an, as an evangelistic proclamation. Water baptism is an evangelistic proclamation. Listen, water baptism provides the Christian an an amazing opportunity to publicly declare and testify to God's saving work in your life and in your heart. I don't know about you. I can't remember the last time I wasn't crying like a little baby girl during baptisms. Can you identify with that? I mean I can I, I just can't hold the tears back. Why? Because of some emotional response in and of itself? No, but because of the amazing miracle that they are testifying to before our very eyes. I mean, I've heard young women and 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 men share about who they used to be. I've heard and I've seen Tough looking older men who are hardcore on the outside just completely and completely melt before the congregation when they share their testimony of what God did in their life. This is who I was before I was an adulterer. I was a liar. I was a hater of God. I was a hypocrite I was a helpless hopeless sinner, but listen to what Jesus did for me and it's a simple gospel message Jesus came lived the perfect life that I could never live Died in my place to pay for my sins and rose from the dead victoriously over sin and death. I am so grateful to my King Jesus we have heard testimonies like that here haven't we? And they remind us of who they were and what Christ did and how God granted them repentance and faith and this is what my life has been since. Yes, I struggle and yes, I'm not perfect and yes, I struggle with my sin, but I keep coming back to the cross and being reminded of the forgiveness that I have with Jesus and how I'm called to live for His glory here on this earth. Oh, beloved, I hope that we rejoice in those kinds of testimonies when we hear them. It's a privilege to hear the miracle that God has worked on the inside. Water baptism is an opportunity to publicly declare To the world, including those who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, what God has done and that Jesus saves, that even though your sin is great, that no matter what you've done on this earth, it doesn't matter. Even the murderer on death row, if he repents from his sins, even though he will have to pay the consequences on this earth and stay there, he can be rescued, eternally speaking, and forgiven, even if he's on death row, right? Jesus saves and when we see somebody in the waters of water baptism publicly declaring that our hearts should, should be full of joy because of the miracle of the new birth and the life of somebody. Do you remember your baptism? Did you take that opportunity to do that? I hope that you did. And I hope that some of you who are going to be baptized take the opportunity to publicly declare the glories of Jesus Christ. I remember my baptism 25 years ago. I was baptized at a Near a uh, nearby mega church here in this area. There were a few thousand people on a Sunday night. I was so nervous. Oh man, I was so nervous. And my pastor, who was the guy that had first discipled me, um, had prepped me. I wrote out my testimony. The only thing that um, I wish they would have told me was to put my testimony, my piece of paper, in a plastic, like we do here for your baptisms. Because... I go up to the microphone. This is like thousands of people are there. And before I knew it, I was so nervous. But once I got going, it was the, I forgot about my nervousness. And I just started telling the people about who I was and what God did and what God had been doing ever since he, I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I just launched. I mean, I went out longer. I mean, you guys already know and can identify with that here for me, right? I think I had like five minutes and I went out for like eight or nine minutes. And my pastor, who was standing behind me, told me later on dude what in the world he goes at at one point you got off your notes and you stuck your piece of paper in the water so so that i'm trying to listen to you but then all of the the paper starts disintegrating all over the place there are particles of piece of paper everywhere these white and there's there's the lights shining down So, so that when i immersed you and other people who were out there saw this no, I immersed you, and then you came out. You had all these white pieces of paper all over your head. People thought you had the Shekinah glory or something upon you. I didn't have no Shekinah glory, I'll tell you that right now, right? But I was so excited to publicly declare what Jesus had done in my life that I was just oblivious to my paper disintegrating in the water. Listen. I pray that some of you, even post-baptism, that that is how you, you are driven because of what Jesus has done in your life to be an ambassador for Christ, to be making disciples on this earth. And for some of you who will be baptized in a couple of weeks, I pray that you get up and you declare to us the glories of Jesus Christ and what he's done for your life. Right? Just make sure that you put your paper in the plastic, okay? And keep it out of the water. What applications, beloved, can we draw quickly from our understanding of baptism? Let me give you four, okay? One, if water baptism is for Christians, let me ask you, are you in Christ? Have you come to put your trust in Christ as the one who has died to pay for your sins? Let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day where you turn from your sins and you rest upon the one who died for your sins on the cross and rose from the dead, rescuing you from the penalty and the power of your sin. Let today be the day of salvation and then get baptized. Secondly, if you are saved, have you been baptized? If you have, praise him. If you haven't, why haven't you been baptized? I mean, this is the basis. This is Christianity 101. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. What are you waiting for? Someone asks, well, how old must I be? Or how old must my son or daughter or youth be before getting pub- excuse me publicly baptized? S- scripture doesn't specify. That's why we really defer here at Calvary to you as parents. If your child or your young person makes a profession of faith and they want to be baptized... Obviously we defer to you because you're the person that is you're the the person or couple who is constantly around them. It would be reasonable if they understand obviously their their problem of sin that they are sinners before a holy God that they are guilty before a holy God and that there's nothing they can do to save themselves. Obviously if they can articulate that and believe that in their hearts and obviously the good news have they affirmed that Jesus is God and that he went to the cross to pay for their personal sins and rose from the dead on their behalf? Do they believe that? Do they embrace that? Do they live in the light of that? And obviously, do they show reasonable evidence, reasonable fruit of a transformed life? And I know that this is very subjective. Why do we do this so that we run around navel-gazing to see how much fruit people have? No. But because if a, if a person has experienced regeneration, the new birth from within, there are going to be new desires and a desire to obey, even though they, were, they will sin and struggle, right? None of us are perfect. But is there evidence in their life a desire to obey, a desire to, to walk in holiness, in likeness, to be like Jesus? So if you are saved, have you been baptized? I hope that you follow through And walk in loving obedience to the Lord. And that you are publicly baptized. Thirdly. We should rejoice when we witness baptisms. We should rejoice. People ask. Does God still work miracles? And the answer is. Yes he does. And you know what the greatest miracle is? The greatest miracle is the miracle of new life in Christ. God raises spiritually dead sinners. So that they are born again. Right? God does miracles. We should rejoice in it. Fourthly. Seek to make disciples. When we witness people being publicly baptized and obviously having been redeemed already, it should make us long to see others come to Jesus Christ. We should be following the Great Commission, obeying the Great Commission, wanting to see new life in Christ in the lives of people, right? So all of this goes back to the Great Commission. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Paul is essentially saying there that as they share Christ, they recognize that some who don't believe pass from spiritual death to eternal death and others pass from life to eternal life. Beloved, as we share the gospel, the message that we share is a matter of life or death are we sharing christ with people and when you see people in the waters of baptism in a couple of sundays may that be the fuel that drives you to want to see more disciples more followers of jesus christ listen we live in a day when we go through the motions way too much we don't understand the significance of why we do what we do as believers may it never be the case here at calvary bible church beloved May we remember that water baptism is an essential practice. It's not secondary. It's not optional for the church, the healthy church of God. Jesus commanded Christians to be baptized, and therefore healthy churches make baptism a priority. They don't relegate it to the backseat of church life. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you so, so much, Lord. Thank you for the beautiful reality, the beautiful picture. That is public water baptism of the amazing work of the miracle of the new birth. Thank you that, Lord, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness as Christians. Help us to live in the light of the glorious person and the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, as mentioned earlier, I want to spend some time, a few minutes, observing communion or the Lord's Supper at this time. Earlier I made mention of our vital union with Jesus Christ, that, that connection, that fellowship that we have with Jesus as Christians. Christ lived a perfect, sinless life, died in our place, rose from the dead to secure three things for us as Christians. And I want us to think about this as you spend a few moments in silent prayer before the Lord and we take up these elements. One, he delivered us who have trusted in him from the penalty of our sins the wrath that we deserve, the judgment that we deserve. If you are a Christian this morning, the words of Jesus apply to you when he said, it is finished. Full payment, satisfactory payment has been made on our behalf. Jesus died to purchase us from the domain of darkness, but also deliver us from the penalty of our sins. Secondly, he delivered us, if we've trusted in him, from the power of our sin the power of our sin we read romans 6 which talks about the fact that we are now free to walk in newness of life in christ likeness the holy spirit empowers us to live the christian life and thirdly i want you to think about this great reality that by virtue of his atoning death his efficient work on the cross he has delivered us or it will deliver us one day from the presence of sin Revelation 21 verse 4 talks about the fact that one day in a new heaven and a new earth there will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has risen and he's exalted and he's returning. Amen? What a beautiful, beautiful reality that is. So as the ushers come forward and distribute the elements, ponder these beautiful truths together, okay? Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.